Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. My name is Amanda Neppel, and I am so glad to be here with all of you this morning on this beautiful Sunday. Welcome to those of you in this room. Welcome to those of you uh, at our campuses, those of you that are joining us online, uh, at home, through our local sites. We are so glad that you are joining us for worship this morning from wherever that is. Uh, We are continuing in our sermon series that we've been exploring our favorite Bible stories. And um, the idea is that the the pastor would choose their favorite Bible story and then you get to talk about it and then you have to talk about why. And I said have to on purpose and you'll understand a little bit later. Um, But somebody asked me this week if we actually got to pick or if we were told what our favorite Bible story would be. And I just want you to know we actually get to pick what our favorite Bible story is. Some of us are using the same ones, some of us are using different ones, but uh, anyway, it's really great to be able to to introduce Rahab to you today. That's what we're going to do. And Rahab, Rahab's an interesting character. Uh, Pastor Nick shared Joshua chapter 2 with you, and you kind of get a taste of things there. But I want to just just say a little bit more about Rahab. Rahab, for one thing, was a Canaanite. She was from the land of Canaan. So what that means is the Canaanites had a reputation for kind of setting themselves up in opposition to what it was that God was up to. And specifically, they lived in this land that God had promised to Abraham many, many years before. But not only that, and probably more importantly, is that the Canaanites were known really for some of the ways that they lived that were so totally outside of anything that could be deemed okay. Uh, they really, there was a darkness uh, in, their, in their life collectively. And it was, it was not something that, that God was going to be able to abide with. And really they, as I said, had set themselves up in their life and as in opposition to what it was that God was up to. So that's who Rahab was. In addition, Rahab was a prostitute. And so, you know, that kind of is a, sounds like it's going to be a hiccup. Um, in, spite of, <laughs> in spite of all of that, we hear about Rahab, we read about Rahab, and we read about a woman who was faithful, who recognized God when she came across him, who was brave. <clears throat> and then we find her again in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And it doesn't seem like those things are going to add up, which is what brings us to why I love this story of Rahab. And the reason is because everybody has a story. And some of our stories are straight-ish lines, ups and downs, of course, but relatively stable. Some of our stories are so convoluted (laughs) that if you fell off at one point and you tried to check in, it wouldn't be recognizable a few years later. Some of us have, have very convoluted stories. <sighs> We've got two characters today. We have Rahab, and then we have this kind of peripheral character of Joshua. Uh, Joshua is the book that we, that we pull Rahab from, um, but Joshua's story is different than Rahab's very much. Joshua is known for his integrity throughout his life, for his faithfulness, for just the way that he trusted God when other people didn't, and he obeyed when other people wouldn't. Joshua's story is one of those that so many of us look at and think, wow, that's really the kind of guy that all of us want to be. By the way, I also love the story of Joshua and his, his, uh, his courage and who that he was. I had one son, his name is Joshua, 
Like, nobody in my house got named Rahab, you know. <laughs> You're welcome, girls. Um, <laughs> but these stories, they are so, uh, they couldn't be more apart, but yet they are all the story of God's people. And only one of them ends up in Matthew 1, and it isn't actually Joshua. So let's take a closer look. Uh, here in, in Joshua tab, chapter 2, we meet uh, Joshua, who is Moses' successor at this point in his life. Now, um, he has stepped in for Moses after that entire generation has died. There's a whole backstory here. We've actually first meet Joshua in Numbers uh, 13, and Joshua's going to be a teenager at that point. And he is one of the 12 spies that Moses sends into the land of Canaan, like 40 years before we find him in, in this story with Rahab. Joshua sends, excuse me, Moses sends 12 spies into the land of Canaan. Ten of them come back and say, it's really nice there, but those people are crazy and like huge and they're going to destroy us. And there's two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who come back and say, yeah, it is really nice there. Yeah, those people are big, but also God is with us. We can do this. Let's go. Unfortunately, the Israelites side with those who are afraid and they are, start saying, no, we don't want to go there. They're going to kill us. And then God's like, you guys, you, this unfaithful generation, you are not going to be able to see the promised land. It wasn't the first time. Like, they'd had, it, it, it was a whole thing. Um, so then they are wandering around in the desert for 40 years, pretty much in circles. And now we find them in Joshua chapter 2 where that generation, including Moses, has died. And now Joshua is the leader of the Israelites. Uh, he's leading them uh, in communicating with God. He's leading them as a leader of their army. He's really the guy. He's really quite the dude. And so now they are ready to, to enter into this land. And Joshua now sends two spies into Canaan, uh, which he learned his lesson 40 years ago, right? So he sends two spies into Canaan. And they end up in the city of Jericho because it's the first city on their stop there. And they sneak into the city walls. And that's where they meet Rahab. Rahab runs an inn in the city walls, as you might imagine. And so when word gets out that these strangers have entered the city of Jericho, the king, because of who Rahab is, knows exactly where to look. It wasn't difficult to figure out where they had gone. And so the king sends two men to Rahab to, to drag these men out. Now, here's, here's the thing. These two men that the king sent, they weren't the kind of people who used words like please and thank you. This was a very dangerous situation for Rahab to be in. And Rahab does something that's astounding. <laughs> she protects the spies. When you think of it, this is absolutely incredible. And we have to kind of wonder, why would Rahab do that? Why would Rahab put herself at risk like that? And if we go a few verses later, we figure it out. Because that night, uh, when it's time to turn in, Rahab goes and talks to the spies. And she says to them, everybody is afraid of you. <laughs> everybody is melting in fear. Because we've heard about what you've done. We've heard about all of the people that you have defeated on your way to get to us. We've lost the will to fight completely. But the other thing that she says is, she says, I know that the Lord has handed this city over to you. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, recognizes who God is. 
in a way that even 40 years ago, the Israelites didn't recognize who God was. Remember, there's this total reversal of things where before, 40 years ago, the spies had been terrified, and now it's the people in the city of Jericho that are terrified. But Rahab says that she knows who God is. Rahab says, for the Lord, and you miss it here, unfortunately, but Rahab calls the Lord by his name, Yahweh. She uses the Israelite word for God. She says, for Yahweh, she knows who God is, but then she says, your God. She knows who Yahweh is, but she doesn't know that Yahweh is for her yet. But she knows who God is. So the next day, the, spy, the spies sneak out. Uh, the, the king's men have gone on a wild goose chase. And then, like, so much happens. Like, from where we're at in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, to where we're going to pick up in a few moments in chapter 6, verse 25, we got, like, three whole sermons and all the stuff that happens. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that to you. But the Israelites, they get to the Jordan River, and God dries up the Jordan River, and they cross over the Jordan River on dry land. And then the Israelites camp out on the other side, and then all the men in the camp have have to be circumcised, yikes, and then they have to rest from that for a little while, and then, and then, and then they celebrate the Passover, their very first Passover in the land that God has promised them. This is huge. So they celebrate that Passover, and then after that, God shows up and talks to Joshua and says, Joshua, here's what you're going to do. You are going to march around the city of Jericho once a day for six days, on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city of Jericho seven times. And that last time, you're going to make a whole bunch of noise and the walls of the city of Jericho are going to fall down and I will give you this city. And lo and behold, that's exactly how it goes. And that's exactly what happens. And so the walls of the city fall down. Uh, God gives the city over to Joshua, and Joshua turns out again to be a man of his word because that's who he is. Joshua spared Rahab and her family because she had hidden the spies. Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. <laughs> now, if that were the end of Rahab's story, that would be enough. It really would. Rahab would be known as Several other heroes in the Old Testament, people whose names we know, possibly like Deborah, Deborah in Judges chapter 4, who was the leader, she was a judge for God's people for a period of time, she saved the Israelites from their enemies. Somebody like Abigail in 1 Samuel chapter 25, who Abigail steps in in this really strange fight that's about to happen between King David and her husband, because Abigail's husband is not so bright, and he picked a fight with King David, and then Abigail has to go and smooth out that whole thing, and she does, and then King David says to her later, hey, thanks for calming me down and not letting me murder your whole family, because that would have been bad, and I would have regretted that, so thank you for doing that. Rahab could have gone down like any of those people, any of them, in the Old Testament, but this isn't actually the end of Rahab's story. We meet Rahab again in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, where the author of Hebrews uh, lifts up Rahab as someone whose faith was incredible. We find Rahab, again, the Canaanite prostitute in the book of James in chapter 2, and she's being exalted for her obedience. And we meet Rahab again in Matthew chapter 1, 
when Matthew lays out the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I've got a whole bunch of names up here, and I know that it's difficult to read. That's kind of the point. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 1, or open your Bible app, or just Google Matthew chapter 1 and, and open that up. There are so many names. So many names. And what people do, if you're normal, is you get to all these names, and you know what you do, normal people, you skip them. Or you skim over or whatever. Now, <laughs> if you really love the names, I am so happy for you, and I love that about you, but it's weird. <laughs> I, don't, I, you don't need to email me. I, I love you. It's fine. I'm glad you, I'm glad you like getting to the names. I just hear from a lot of people who don't. But when we go through the names, this is only five verses of it. There's 11 more, just a lot like this. But verse 5 tells us, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay. So not only did Rahab leave uh, Jericho and continue on with the Israelites, but she became a fully integrated part of their community, of their family. And there's even more going on there that we're going to take a look at. Boaz whose mother was Rahab, was the father of Obed, and Obed's mother is Ruth. Okay, so Ruth, she has her own story. Her story's pretty good. You can find it in her book, Ruth, in the Old Testament. And what you don't get from that list, though, you don't, you don't hear in this list that Ruth was a Moabite. You read that in her book, in Ruth. You find out that she was from the land of Moab. Now, here's the thing about the Moabites. They were even more hated than the Canaanites <laughs> for reasons that went back a long, long, long way back and for reasons that are totally dark and terrible, terrible. The Moabites were even more hated than the Canaanites. So if you look at Obed, his mother is Ruth and his grandma is Rahab. So what this means is Obed is actually just a quarter Israelite. Obed is a quarter Canaanite. And Obed is half Moabite. And you're like, so what? Well, Obed is the grandpa of King David. That King David, who had all of the hopes of the nation of Israel throughout generations pinned on him, that someone from David's very murky, very questionable line was going to save Israel was going to be Israel's Messiah. And when you look at that, there is no way to look at that. Matthew in his gospel is making a very intentional point that from the very beginning, the story of who God is including and what he's doing is a whole lot bigger than any of us may have ever thought that it was. It's incredible. And so what God is looking at isn't the itemized list of 1 through 20 of all the things that disqualify someone. What God is looking at is the one thing that does qualify us, and that's not our history. That is our heart. That is a heart that is open to what it is that God is doing, a heart that is willing to say, I don't know, but I'll take a baby step forward and see where that gets me. God's looking for a heart who is willing, and it has always been from the very beginning so much bigger than what any of us have thought. And it has included people from the beginning who we would have thought were in opposition to God. Isn't that an incredible story? Because all of us at some point in our lives or another have found ourselves in opposition to God. In big ways or small ways, it's who we are. It's absolutely part of my story. Uh, 
if, if 25 years ago you had said to me that, that I would be standing here on this, in this place and that I would be preaching a sermon as an ordained Lutheran pastor, I would have said that I had never heard so many wrong things all at once. If you had told me that I was going to go to the moon, that would have been much more likely in the realm of possibility. I might have believed that. There was a, a period of my life, about 13-ish years, where not only was I not interested in God, I would say, I would say to be honest, it's more honest to say that I was in opposition to God. Like, I knew what God, I knew what I thought God wanted, and I kind of intentionally made choices that were opposite of that. <clears throat> and the thing is, that was during the time in my life when I was, <laughs> when I was taking my first run at being a grown-up. And so, <laughs> so most of the choices that I made during that time in opposition to God were not the kind of choices that one makes unless one is trying to make a mess. And so you could say, you could say that I was building my life on sand and that would be true, but if I'm going to be honest, I would say that it was more like a powder keg, really. And then somebody, somebody dropped a match. <laughs> That's what I would say. And, and it would be one thing if I could stand up here and tell you um, that the only person that I hurt was myself, but that isn't true. People got hurt. People in my sphere got hurt, and it was my fault. <clears throat> and in that, when everything was just smoldering, God met me with his hand outstretched. And he met me in kindness and in mercy and forgiveness and in truth. And he did that through, uh, he did that mostly through, through other people at first, because I sure wasn't open to him, but I was open to other people. And he did that through other people. He did that through uh, people who uh, were here at Hope because as God would have it, when I was willing to look, he put me here. Um, he did that through people. He did that through people who walked alongside me even as I continued to make stupid mistakes. There's no other word for it. Even while I'm like collecting and looking at the pieces still continued to do stupid things. And there were people who continued to stay with me through that space. There were things that God took care of, I would say immediately, just like that, cleaned up. And then there are things that we are kind of now called to walk through and called to learn to lean into God, to let him help us with those things. But these things help us to have our dependence on God and help us to 
Even as we, lest we think, you know, that we're doing a great job and it's all on us, God just wants to remind us he's kind of the author of this whole thing sometimes. And for me, one of those biggest things, the thing that is the most uh, easy to fall into, the trap that's easiest for me to get into over and over and over again, is believing that somehow my story disqualifies me from some of the good things that God wants to give to other people. I know that's not true. But back then, when there was still a bunch of stuff going on and it was still really messy, I didn't know that. I believed that. And I want you to know that, honestly, I was perfectly okay with that. It made sense to me. I would look around and I would see people who, in my estimation, seemed like they were just running on all cylinders, man. They had a faith and they had a call and they had joy and there were all sorts of blessings that God had given them. And I just, I truly believe that that was for them and good on them too, right? But, but it wasn't going to be for me because I believe that there were blessings for the Joshua's of the world but then there are other people that, that, that those blessings aren't for. And I, I don't know. I mean, the Bible says you reap what you sow. That's in there. And that's what I was basing all this on. And that's not even Old Testament. Paul says that in the New Testament. So you pay attention. But I've lived in Iowa my whole life. And finally, one day, I figured out that a farmer doesn't harvest what they planted 10 years ago. Those things have seasons. <clears throat> a farmer harvests in October-ish. They don't go back there in February. It's done. Certainly they don't go back to what they were harvesting, what they planted 10 years ago. Those things have seasons. And for some of us, for some of us, God is planting this really beautiful garden in our, in our own backyard. It's fantastic. And we're looking at this garden and we are thinking to ourselves, well, huh, that is, that is nice. Who is that for? <laughs> it's in your backyard. It's for you. And how this played out for me was... Um, this, was this was 15 years ago. And... Um, I was coming to Hope, and back in those days, we had, like, paper bulletins that we handed out. It was amazing. And in those bulletins, in those bulletins, we would put, like, things that were going on. But also, back then, we would put, like, job descriptions. If there was a job that was open, it was posted in the bulletin. I'm telling you, <laughs> I was going to say I'm telling you the truth. Everything else has also been the truth. But this job, <laughs> this job description was in the bulletin for two months. And it was for, some of you know this, it was for the coordinator for the three-year-old through kindergarten Sunday school program. And I would look at that bulletin every week, and I would think to myself, what a great job. Oh, that would be a, that's going to be a great job for someone. Someone is going to snatch that right up. And that went on for two months. And those poor people downstairs are dying because they just want somebody, anybody, to take that job because they're doing all that extra work for the nincompoop who's sitting up here and is thinking that somebody else is going to take that job. That went on for two months. And then one day, I'm in my kitchen, and I have the bulletin, and I read the job description, and you know what I said. I said, wow, that's a great job for someone 
And then somebody in my kitchen said, that's a great job for you. At least I thought. I spun around. Wasn't anybody in my kitchen. And that was one of two times that God has had to literally show up and speak to me because I was too stubborn otherwise to know what was going on. And I would say that the rest is history. That's not actually true. It was very convoluted from there. Uh, But it didn't even occur to me to question that God had something that he wanted to do in that space. And that's why when we look at Rahab, when we look at Joshua, when we look at this whole thing, we know. When we look at Matthew chapter 1, we know everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And I know that from the number of people who are sitting in here, the number of people who are joining us from all over the place, uh, there are some of you who are here in this place right now, and things around you are still smoldering. (laughs) Something got broke, and you're trying to figure out what's right side up. Maybe somehow you got the courage to make stumble into into worship today. Maybe you got the courage somehow to flip on uh, and watch online. But God's meeting you in that place with an outstretched hand to remind you of who he is. Some of you are in this slow burn place where it's like, I just feel like I see that God has those blessings for people, but I don't know how, not for me. And maybe you don't know why, but you just have this belief deep down somehow that God has made some really nice things for other people, but they're not for you for whatever reason. And I'm here to tell you today that God comes to you with that outstretched hand as well and is not one bit worried about the choices that you have made, the choices that other people have made that impacted you. We can even go back generations. Those harvests are cyclical, friends. God is not worried about those things. He's much more interested in what he can do with you moving forward if we're willing to just just dare to believe that he could be standing there in front of us with his hand open it's a story that so many of us have this um this piece of art up here some of you recognize it uh, because it's in my office and some of you recognize it because you contributed to it we did this at the uh, first women's summit that we did in october of 2019 and when women came in we asked them to take a heart And we asked them to write on the back of it what they were bringing in with them. What was the burden that they were carrying? What was the world saying to them? What did they believe about themselves? What did they want to be set free of? And we asked them to write that on the back of the heart. And then we asked them to just sit with that for a while throughout the day. As we worshiped together, as we had messages and and different talks and different ways of exploring together. And then before they left, they were asked to take their heart and to flip it over, and then on the other side, to write the truth of what Jesus says about them, to claim maybe that truth for themselves for the first time, to to declare what it was that they were looking for and what they were asking God for, or who maybe there were folks that day whose God just uh, tore their heart, tore into their hearts and healed them in that space or began that space. And so we asked them to write a new word or a new phrase on the front of the heart in light of what Jesus has done for them in light of the cross. And so the words that you don't see on here, they include things like ashamed, lost, scared. But in light of Jesus, they include things like confident, redeemed, blessed, loved, funny, 
Friends, that's who Jesus says you are, whether you recognize it or not. He says those things about you. And it is as simple and as difficult (laughs) as letting those barriers come down. Just like the walls of Jericho, just like in that uh, offering song that we heard here in West Des Moines that something has to break, we resist things breaking, don't we? Especially the more that we feel that we have invested in those things, oh, we resist things having to break. But friends, sometimes those things have to break. And then into that broken space, the light comes in and the light shines through and then is able to figure out if any of that scrap heap can be redeemed or if, or if we just need to start over at ground zero. But either way, God is reaching out his hand in the truth of who he is with holiness and mercy and righteousness and forgiveness and the grace and he love and the love that he has for each and every one of us. He wants to tear down those barriers in your life because he wants you to recognize that the garden he's planting in your own backyard is for you. That he is on your side. That he wants to not just take he just wants to to uh, not just take the beauty, right? Or God makes dead things come alive. Yes, we know that right? He makes beautiful things from ashes. Do you know what things that are alive do? They produce and support other things that are alive. They don't just stand around saying, I'm alive. No, that's not what they do. They do things. They exist in an ecosystem with other living things that supports and cares for one another. So we want to lean into the truth that God wants that for us, and we want to allow those barriers to be broken. So the first thing I want to talk about is I want to go back to Rahab for just a second. The first thing that we need to do is we need to understand humbly as well as we are able who God actually is. Rahab said, I know the Lord has given you this land. She said, everybody's afraid. Everybody's melting in fear. Nobody has the courage to fight. That's the group. Rahab said, I know who your God is. And it made all the difference. It made all the difference knowing who God is and being willing to have just enough enough faith to step out and obey when he calls you to step out and obey. Do you think for one second that I wanted to tell you that whole story? I can assure you I did not. I went into that story kicking and screaming and crying and wailing. I did not want to do all of that. The reason I, do, I did that is because I know it's our story. I know that things that are alive support and care for other things that are alive. So we, we obey, we ask God. The most honest thing we can do is ask God for eyes to see what he's up to and ears to understand what it is that he wants us to know. We ask him. Sometimes we think that we are lost and God is kind of uh, just letting us wallow around there and then we think maybe it's all of our fault and we forget to ask. Ask God. Ask God to reveal himself to you. The second thing that we do is we skip forward from Rahab several, several generations and we look to Jesus and we allow Jesus to pay for our sins. Now, I know that that sounds silly. I know that sounds like a silly thing to say. But Jesus said... 
If the sun sets you free, you are truly free. It's John 8, 36. It's not just a nice song that we sing around here that really gets everybody going. Jesus said that. If the sun sets you free, you are free. And he was saying that to people in the context of pointing to himself as the Messiah. But here's what that means for us. That means that what Jesus has done has set us free. We have been saved. And here's what I know, and I say this to you respectfully and with all the love of my heart, but there are some of us who know that Jesus has gone to the cross for us, but we would rather, if we could, crawl up on that cross ourselves and hang there ourselves so that we could be able to say, no, I'll take it from here, Jesus. I've got this. We would rather do that than accept that what Jesus has done is done. And then when we do that, when, when we insist on, on, on crawling back up there and, and thinking that we have to be on the cross because we have to pay the punishment for our own sins, that's never going to work. It doesn't work because, remember, we're letting God be who God is, and God didn't set it up to work that way. God took our sins from us when Jesus came out of the grave, and Jesus left them there. Let Jesus take the punishment for your sins and leave them there and walk away and know that now you live in the freedom and the abundance that God wants you to have. And last but not least, trust that the God who brought you this far is going to see you through. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, For I know that the Lord who began his good work in you will see it through until it is finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. None of us are done. Not a single one of us. Isn't that wonderful news? Remember how I told you that there are things that kind of peek their head up every now and then, and then I, you know, kind of think that I'm really just ridiculous. So somebody called me this week. A friend of mine called me and said, Hey, how's the sermon going? And I said, well, I'm at the point where I'm pretty sure that this is absolutely an absolute complete mistake and everybody's going to figure out that I am a total fraud. So basically, right on time. <laughs> it's just all part of the process at this point. I know that this is a lie. I know that it's a lie. And God and I are working on it because we're not done, because he's not finished with me yet. In the same way that he is not finished with any one of you yet, he will bring it through to completion because he started it, because he is faithful. He is faithful in everything that he does. As we prepare to close today with our local sites and with our campuses and with those of you joining online, I want to pray over you today. And so I invite you just to take a deep breath. <laughs> And let's pray. Let's come before our holy God. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are, you are a God of eternity, God. You have gone before us. You go with us. You are behind us. Lord, and we know that you are so completely trustworthy. Lord, we come before you today. Lord, and we give back to you the things this week that we did um, that we're not of you, God. We confess those sins to you. Lord, as well as the things we've done, God, we confess to you the things that we were called to do, but we didn't. Lord, and we thank you that because of your son, Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. You have separated us from our sin as far as the east is from the west, God, because that is who you are. So, Lord, I lift up each person who is hearing my voice right now from wherever they are. Lord, and I pray that you would 
break down the barriers that need to be broken down. Lord, I pray that you would build where things need to be built. Lord, I pray that you would just draw each one of your kids just a little bit closer to you today and just draw each one of us a little bit closer in in knowing that you are so completely trustworthy. We can rest in you and we can be exactly who we are because we know that, that you call us yours. We thank you for this and it's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone said, amen.